This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play. You know, we scored one goal the other night against them, and now we're staring one goal with, you know, 55 minutes into the second game. So we were fine in the third period. They kind of beat us wide, but honestly, I think our urgency picked up a little bit more once that goal went in, and we were just building momentum. And then obviously when Ross scored, it was been a little bit of a, a relief saying, okay, uh, but we didn't just rest and say, oh, let's go to overtime. Let's see if we can get this, and, and we did. Tell you what, we learned uh, a few things, I think, last night regarding this Tampa Bay Lightning team. One, pretty resilient. Two, Ross Colton deserves to be in the lineup, regardless of who comes back. Vassy's pretty damn good. And do you know what a concrete mixer is? <laughs> <laughs> People who are regular oh, listeners man. to Lightning Radio definitely do. I that now was, I now am aware of what a that was some good stuff. What Dave. what Culver's concrete mixer? That's is. exactly yeah. You have to. You There's have the to conventional concrete yes. mixer, yes. which I was well aware of what that is. I was a little confused as was Phil. Phil had no idea we, what was happening when we first did the read. Yes, Phil. Phil looked like a thank deer you, in Culver, for educating us. <laughs> That this is actually not only something that you can use to like build a lanai or a swimming pool. <laughs> That's right. That's it right. can also be a, a delicious treat. Which, you know, I think they need <laughs> to bring one in to the game for us because I think that's the only way to do that thing justice. And I got to tell you, I think Phil Esposito would love that. Phil Esposito would love You know you're game. rolling the dice if you're ingesting a concrete mixer before you go on the air. <laughs> I'm just, <laughs> That's I'm, a good I'm, point by I'm you. I'm sending up a That's cautionary a flare there. It's a good for point. You. It's a good point. And um, we've got a lot to discuss. We're getting a lot of tweets coming in, Dave, about the game last night. Hit us up on Twitter. That was, that was a, quite a radio. game. I wrote my extra shift this morning. I was like, I need an evening to kind of digest this. It may have been my longest extra shift because there was so much to get into with that game. And, One of the and, longest I've written this year. And Sean Rourke from NHL.com is yes. going to be joining us here in just a bit. We want to get his thoughts on the Lightning in general and specifically some of uh, the Lightning players who are performing well. Dave, I, I, before we get to Sean, and uh, he is right uh, with us here on Power Lunch, what Andre Vasilevsky is doing is pretty incredible. And let's get to Sean. He's with us right now, and I guess I'll start. I think he probably would agree with you, Greg. Yeah, and Sean, first off, buddy, great to be with you. And it's really interesting. You know, you watched the game last night, and I don't know if people nationally, through no fault of their own, Maybe understand how great he is unless you see him every night because you look at the game last night, Sean, and the Lightning come away with that 3-2 win. But if you watched it, you saw Tampa Bay at times had some big-time breakdowns, and Vasilevsky was incredible. Is it fair at this point to look at him and say not only is he the best goaltender in the league, but you might have to start giving him some MVP votes. What do you think about that, Sean? Do we have Sean? Was it such a great question, Dave? Do you think he just was <laughs> You left him speechless. I, I did. I think that's the I, case. I, I did. But, you know, once we get Sean back, and um, we'll, we'll ask him that question. But, Dave, honestly, like, big picture, and, and we'll get into the, the intricacies of the game while we wait for Sean. I, I mean, I, that was one of those games where I don't know if Vassy's not in net. They win that game. Maybe they pick up points. Not a knock on Curtis McElhaney. I think it just speaks to how good he was. 
he had to deal with way too many. From from the perspective of how did the Lightning defend, he had to deal with way too many scoring chances. Now, as we have said, if there's a goalie who's equipped to handle lots of scoring chances and give your team a chance to win, it's Vasilevsky. And he did it again last night. He was sensational. And I know the second period was the period that was highlighted because that was the period in which Columbus carried play for the longest and had the most chances. But he was pretty darn good in the first and the third, too. Yeah. And those two shorthanded saves on the 2 on 0 in the first period, huge. I mean, just the save on line A right at the end of the game in the 6 on 5. I actually looked at the play-by-play, Greg. Line A had four shot attempts during the six-on-five. The first of them got through. Vasilevsky made the save, and then there was a scramble play in front of the net, and the puck stayed out. The next three Line A shot attempts never reached Vasilevsky. Sergachev blocked two of them, and McDonough blocked one of them. But the first one did get through, and that was a huge save by Vasilevsky with traffic through a screen, and we know how well Lionel can shoot the puck. So he was simply magnificent well, last let, night again. Yes, and let's get to Sean Rourke, who is joining us right now. Sean, do you have us, buddy? Steve says, hold on. Steve says, hold on. And that's fine. We'll do This is quite him. the dramatic entrance. You know what it is. He's going to have. Is. You know, the first question I was going to ask Sean, too, was, what does he miss more I thought the first question was Vassy. It was, Robert. but now that now that <laughs> okay. we've kind of we've, you've already asked, we've that kind one. of soiled that bed. <laughs> My lead into that day. <laughs> no, no, but he hasn't heard the question. I know. I'm guessing. I know. You well, need to ask that question first. Listen, with technology, I'll steal. I'll steal your second question and ask that, <laughs> and take full credit. My question to him. <laughs> While you sip a concrete mixer, <laughs> and oh, enjoy boy. the answer. Oh my goodness, the concrete <laughs> mixer. Um, the question I was going to ask Sean. Because he's a big concert guy. He loves music. Yeah. I was going to ask him, what does he miss more? Going to a hockey game where it's completely sold out or going to a concert and getting out in the open and, and enjoying the tremendous music that's being played. And, uh, you know, for him, you know, these concerts are a big deal. I was going to ask him that coming out of the gates, but we'll have to uh, we'll have to wait. And then, of course, my second question would have been, why aren't you voting for Vassy for MVP of the league <laughs> like I am? Well, what are you gonna do? I think NHL.com they do kind of their are they straw polls? Is that or, or mock votes? Like they have all of their writers yes. submit votes for different awards and they make their picks at different points during the year. So I wonder not just him, but how many of the NHL.com writers would would put in a vote for Vasilevsky? I think Beyond it's a good the question. Vesna. Yeah, I think it's a which good right now it's probably a, a two horse race for the Vesna, him and and Grubauer in Colorado, based on wins and and the kind of season that they're having. But I think most people feel that it may be a, a two person race, but it's clear which which person is probably going to get it, yeah, and which person is going to come think, in second. I think Dan Rosen recently was just, do we really need to have this argument? It's Vasilevsky by a mile, and look, you know, it's unfair because we don't watch. The other teams. I know Flurry was having and is still having a very good year for Vegas and has basically kept them as one of the better teams. And yeah, how about the young goalie in Minnesota too? Yeah, you're he right. may get some Calder votes. You're right, for sure. You know, I was thinking about this too. The um, coach of the year. You know my take on coach of the year, Dave. I yeah, well, that's clear. that's our wheelhouse. That the, is the Broadcasters Association. Yeah, you know who's. If there was ever an argument 
to be the coach of the year and you don't win the Stanley Cup, you know who's who's coaching lights out right now? Mike Sullivan. You know I am not a huge I was not a huge fan of the Pittsburgh Penguins before the the season started. Look where they are now. He's got that team playing kind of close to where they were in 2016 in terms of they're finding some depth and yeah. they're playing hard. Like defensively, they're they understand like their forecheck is what they need to do to win games, and they're doing it. And I did not see that coming. And I, I think those are the cases where you sit there and say, "All right, yeah, you know, I, I get it." And um, that makes some sense if you were going to give the coach of the year award to somebody like that. That being said, for me, I'm not going to waver. I'm still going to say whoever wins the Stanley Cup should be it. Yes, I know. But there You're, are but there are some interesting candidates out flag. there. Yeah, you yeah. know, there's there's some other teams that maybe were not expected. This is one of the three areas where the coach of the year winner or at least a guy who finishes in the top three can slide in. Either you have just a phenomenal season, the the coach of the best team, sometimes wins it too, a coach of a team that has greatly exceeded expectations, and or a coach of a team that has overcome huge obstacles, usually injury-related. And there are a couple of coaches, I think, who fall in that second category. Joel Quenville in Florida, certainly. Paul Maurice in Winnipeg. Did anyone think that the Jets would be where they are? Understanding that I think there's this perception that that North Division has some really good teams and, and some teams that, that have really struggled this year. But I think Winnipeg, based on where they were last year, to me, they're a little surprising based on the season they had last year and now where they are atop that North Division. That's a three-team race for first, kind of like the Central Division. You know, I've and I think Minnesota seen... as well. I mean, I don't yeah, think a lot of people for felt sure. Minnesota would be in that running to maybe they'd eke in as the fourth seed, but it's St. No Louis question. trying yeah. to hold on right now. Yeah. There's I mean, no those question. are just three teams off the top of it's my a head. Good point. We see Florida a lot, but I think these other teams also – are in the mix here. It's a good point by Minnesota. I have a friend here where I live who's a who's from Minnesota, and he kind of keeps dibs on some of the young players they have coming up. And of course, I've never heard of any of these guys. And you know, he acknowledges their team that's that's struggling to score. He's not a big fan of Parisi and the contract that they gave him a while ago. But they are getting some good goaltending, as you mentioned. So kudos to them. They're playing well. Winnipeg's one of those teams that's always had a lot of talents. And I felt like along with Nashville, just never never could break through and win a cup with the talent that they did accumulate. Now, Nashville, we kind of seen them have a resurgence here. Winnipeg, I, I still like them a lot. You know, Maybe goaltending is what it comes down to with them uh, here and there. But uh, it, it's certainly something to keep an eye on. I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. It looks like we can get Sean back at another number, but let's do that. Okay, let's get him. that squared away. Yeah, I don't want to keep him waiting. Because we do want to, you and I want to get into Yeah, we want to get into this game, dig, well. our, dig our teeth into to what we're doing. He's Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linnelli. Steve Ersick producing back, hopefully, with Sean Work from NHL.com. If not, Dave and I will just talk for the next 50 minutes. Back after this on Lighting Power Play. The perfect social distancing distraction for your lunch hour. This is Power Lunch, only on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, all right. And we are back. 
Craig Lanelli, along with Dave Mishkin, Steve Ersnick, our producer, doing a good job to get our next guest on. Sometimes technology works. Sometimes yes. it doesn't. When it doesn't, you just got to reset. And All we, good things come to those who wait. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. And uh, this guy's worth waiting for. He's Sean Rourke, director of editorial for NHL.com. Does great work there. Always enjoy his analysis. And he's with us on Power Lunch. Sean, great to be with you, buddy. And as I said, my first question out of the gate to you would have been uh, in that previous segment. What are you missing more? Going to an arena where it's a packed house watching NHL games or going to concerts live? Well, that's a tough one. I, I, I think um, <laughs> I would have to say concerts live only in Ooh. that it can't be recreated. Um, you, you know, you, you can't you can't have that thing with the with concerts that you can have with hockey right you can get together with your buddies and watch a game so if i had to pick one it'd be concerts but uh they're right next to each other go ahead greg i know you have another question well yeah i I knew sean i knew sean he's a big music guy so i I wanted to ask him that question out of of the gate you know sean we're taking a look at the lightning and andre vasilevsky was outstanding last night but as i've made the point on this show a number of times along with dave is that if you don't watch him every night you probably don't get an appreciation for how good he is. So if you look at the box score, you look at yesterday and say, all right, he gave up two goals. That's a typical Vasilevsky game. But then you notice that Columbus really had some glorious scoring opportunities throughout. And if Vasi's not in net, I don't know if they pick up points last night. I understand he's the best goaltender in the game. At least I think that's our opinion here on the show. But I'm wondering, does he need to start getting some MVP consideration for how good and how dominant he's been? Understanding that while Tampa Bay is a good defensive team, they're not a great defensive team. No, but they have the best defenseman in the game, and I, and I think that kind of skews the whole thing. Look, I, I, I think Vassie's going to win the Vezina, and I, you know I don't vote, but if I voted, a Hedman to me is a runaway uh, Norris Trophy winner. Um, so, and, and I'm a big believer in, in that you can't really split your MVP votes, right? The MVP is a very specific thing. It is the most valuable player. That's why I've never believed in the Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl can get MVP votes in the same year because, to me, this isn't a best player award. This is a most valuable player award. And, and as good as Andre's been, I don't know if he's the most valuable player on that team because it might be Hedman, and, and, and there's certainly an argument for each one of them. So, for me, the MVP argument is more about you know, a player like Patrick Kane, who almost single-handedly has, has willed the Chicago Blackhawks into the playoff picture, a, a picture that they didn't think they would be in. And probably, I'm not sure that they deserve to be in if they didn't have him. You know, so it's players, to me, it's players like him and Anzi Kopitar um, and other players like that who are, who are singularly the best players on their team. Sean, it's always interesting. Players. I just confused my own argument. The most important <laughs> players on there. No, we knew we knew where you were going with that, and and that's a very good point. You know, that's why they call it the most valuable player. Greg and I have had this discussion in in recent weeks as well. Uh, Sean, it's always yeah, and interesting. Yeah, I think it gets lost sometimes. Right. Yeah. It's to a degree, it's become a best player award, and if you're going to do it under that um, under that aegis then I certainly think you can put Vasilevsky in that conversation. But that's not how, and again, I don't vote, but if I were to vote, that is not how I would vote. I would vote for the most valuable player, and I just don't know that I can make that argument for Andre as good as he's been. And in a way, the Lindsay Award, which is voted on by the players, really doesn't specify most valuable. That's the players kind of voting for probably the player they think is the best, right? I mean, isn't that kind of the way that, that award is meant to be doled out? 
Yeah, I think, and I think historically that's kind of been the way it's kind of slid over the last couple of years. But you still do get a lot of writers who, for for their own reasons, and look, it's very subjective, as many things are when you're voting for awards, um, who think it's a it should be a best player award. You know, it's very much like the Norris in that that's become an offensive defenseman um, award more than an all-around defenseman award. I, again, I, I think Hedman's changing that dynamic because he's so good at both ends. But a lot of times in recent years, you've had, you know, the best offensive defensemen are the ones people look at the points and they're like, oh, he's the best defenseman in the league. And then you have a guy that might only have 30 points, but, you know, is out there 28 minutes a game and, you know, uh, dominating play as he plays, but doesn't get as much attention because when you look at the defenseman and, and he's not in the top 10 in scoring, you're like, well, he, he, he's not eligible for the Norris or he's not somebody I'm going to consider for the Norris. So it, it all really is subjective. Sean, I'm just curious because in our little bubble here, we sometimes don't get a feel for the national sentiment about some things relating to the Lightning. And I want to ask you about drafting and developing. I think there there is an acknowledgement that the Lightning have drafted well. You can look and see Braden Point was in the third round. Sorelli was in the third round. Palat was a seventh-round pick. Even Nikita Kucherov went in the second round. Amazing to think that he didn't go in the first but is there a recognition that the development part of this is also important? And when you look at a guy like Ross Colton, who has really grown a lot as a minor league player and now is having an impact at the NHL level, is there is there an acknowledgement or a sense that what the Lightning have done is not just drafting, it's also drafting and developing that has helped them bring up players and, and, and stay elite? Oh, I think that's a huge part of it, and it's, if it's not being acknowledged, it's a mistake. When when you look at that Syracuse pipeline and, and how it's kind of fed players in there and they kind of play the same way and, and they do all of the same things and players come to, New Jer- come to Tampa Bay ready to play for the Lightning, um, I, I think that's a huge part of it. I think you need to identify those players, and, and the Lightning have been very good at that. You know, when you started to talk about all the players and where they got drafted and everything else, um, you know, I started thinking about Steve Eisman, and it was the GM there, and, and, and when he played in Detroit, it was the same thing. The reason that they became so good was because they found so many – they hit so late on so many players. You know, Datsyuk is, is the classic example, um, but there were a ton of others. And Tampa Bay, to me, has kind of followed the same blueprint, especially because when you get good, you can't always hit early because you're not drafting in a place where you're going to get a, a, a given player. You've you got to project a little bit more. So I think they've done a really good job drafting. I think they've done a really good job developing. And then I think they've done a really good job of identifying those tweener players, right, and and kind of picking those kids out and saying, you know, signing them as undrafted free agents or, or you know, trading for them or whatever, and then developing them into NHL caliber players and adding to their depth pool where they can either introduce them into the lineup like they have have with Ross Carlton or, you know, use them as trade trade bait for something else they might need, like they did at the deadline last year. So to me, it, it, it's the entire package, and, and I think it has to be that way if you're going to su- sustain success. We've seen a lot of teams be good for a year or two, and then the salary cap catches up to them and parity catches up to them and everything else. But to be in that top four, top eight for – several years in a row like Boston has done and like Tampa's doing now, it has to be a combination of all those things. Sean Rourke from NHL.com joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Sean, understanding Tampa Bay is up against the cap, does Julian Breezewa make any type of moves at the deadline? Are you comfortable 
with their team and specifically their back end as a whole? Yeah, I'm completely comfortable. I think they made their moves, right, last year. And all the guys that they, they got last year, they have again this year, um, whether it was re-signing them or drafting for players with more than one year left on their deal, which is not uh, the prescribed method of handling the deadline for most GMs. There, Everybody's looking for a rental. And I think that's what you'll see this year, especially with the flat cap. It's going to be almost all rentals. Um, but, you know, I, I think they made their moves last year. And then, you know, you, you know, we just talked about Colton who comes in as like a depth guy, and then you're going to get Nikita Kucherov back. To me, that's a trade deadline move. You're, you're sitting in first place in your division. You know, you, there's a lot of competition there from Florida and Carolina, but you've put yourself in a place where you know you're comfortable now. You're going to make the playoffs. You're one of the clearly one of the best teams in the, in in your division and in your side of the bracket. I almost said in the East, but there is no more East at least for this year. And so, and now the trade deadline passes and you get to add Nikita Kucherov at some point, you know, probably closer to the playoffs. To me, that's a, that's the trade deadline move for them. And, and it's going to be a unbelievable one. My only concern and it's minor is how long does it take Nikita to come back? You know, you, you saw in St. Louis, Tarasenko came back and it took him a little while to get on track. He's still trying to find his way 10, 12 games in. And I, and I don't know that Nikita is going to have that same runway, but you look at this Tampa Bay team and I could argue that they could win without them. So to add that at the deadline to me is is all they're going to need to do. Sean, I have kind of a two-part COVID-related question. The first is we see Vancouver now has had to postpone some games. Montreal had to do it whatever it was last week or a week and a half ago. What is the realistic timeline for when the regular season is going to end now? How far do you see it extending? And that's one. And then two, what is the landscape, in your opinion, going to look like as we get into the playoffs as presumably more people, players, management get vaccinated? Do you think we may see a change either in some of the protocols or more fans in the building or any kind of changes as we get farther along here that may impact the playoffs as opposed to the regular season? Uh, to answer the first part, I think for the most part we're still, uh, the NHL believes it's still somewhat on track for, for what they propose, right? They're a little bit past the end of the original end of the season, which I believe was the 8th, and now we're at like the 11th. Um, and then the playoffs start three days later. I, I think there's some flexibility, and as you reschedule these games, you could still start the playoffs, and the teams that have to play in those last two days to, to get to uh, the right number of games would start later, right? You stagger the playoffs a little bit in the beginning until everybody gets on the same page. So I, I don't know. There's been no exp no concern expressed to this point, so you know you have to assume that there's, there's still a comfort level there. And then to me, the second part of the question is, is the huge part, right? And it, it has to do with more than hockey. It has to do with everything. You look at baseball, it's just starting up now. And, you know, there's been talk about lessening their, their protocols. Same thing with the NBA as players start to get vaccinated, you know, that they'd be allowed to go out to restaurants together. Um, testing would, would not be as extensive and, and everything else. So, you know, I, I think society as a whole is grappling with all those things. And, and the one thing is, is to me is just how conservative the NHL has been in a good way to, to try and make sure that, that, you know, everything gets done and everybody's safe. And you, you think about the Buffalo in New Jersey, what happened there earlier in the year when they both got shut down. And, you know, there, there was a time when it, it was, it was 
touchy, I think. And, and since then, you know, they've, they've changed some of the protocols and they've done some different things. And until these, these small outbreaks in, in the North Division, um, there was a long period where the NHL was just kind of going along and, and getting all their games in. So I, I do think as more people become vaccinated and hopefully the numbers start to go down and, you know, you can look at some of those things. I, I, I think the biggest things will just be, you know, as you get to the the semifinals and you introduce Canada into the equation in those Canadian teams, um, there's going to be some questions about exactly how that's going to be done and what it's going to be done. But you've already seen the quarantine go down from 14 to 7 days in Canada, and I think that's going to have a huge impact in the next 10 days over, you know, what teams can do at the trade deadline. I think you already saw it with Montreal and getting Eric Stahl. I mean, he came out and basically said, I wasn't interested in sitting 14 days, but I can live with seven. So um, to me, those are the kind of changes that are really going to impact what happens going forward. Sean, last question uh, on my end. Are, are you concerned about the play come playoff time with how the schedule has played out this year? No, you know, I'm not, and and I'll tell you why, mainly just because of the fact that everybody to this point has been playing to a degree playoff hockey, and you keep on saying, well, I wonder how long this can last, and then it lasts a little bit longer, um, you know, and, and you keep going on. Like, I watched uh, I watched several games last night, but the Carolina-Chicago game, to me, that, that was a playoff game in what traditionally in another NHL season would be um, kind of the dog days, right? Like, uh, unless you're in a playoff race, you, you're kind of playing out the string, and you know every team has those days. But I, I think understanding that games are piling up, um, and that is a concern. The mitigating factor on the other end is is travel um, and the lack thereof. You know, I I I love the hey, let's play two three games in the same city. Um, I think, you know, when you talk to the players, they love it because for the most part, travel is, is, is the hardest thing for players with sleep patterns and, and recovery and everything else. Um, even when they're on the road, it's almost other than that they're not sleeping in their own beds. It's almost like they're at home in that they, they can go through the same routines that they normally go through. You finish a game on the road, say, in, in Carolina, right, if you're Tampa Bay, and you got to play them again two days later, so you're in bed by midnight, you know, you attack the next day the same way. It's not like, you know, playing a one-off in Vancouver and having to fly six and a half hours home and, and then play again the next day. Like, I think those are the things that really build up on you. So, And, and then once you get into the playoffs, you know, everything's forgotten. It doesn't matter how banged up you are or how tired you are or anything else. Um, you know, it's playoffs. It's, it's, it's what you play for and it's why you play. And, you know, again, we had, we had Eric on our podcast, Dan Rosen and I do a podcast uh, at the rink that comes out each week and Eric's in quarantine right now. And he talked about it, you know, and he, he's like, yeah, it's been hard. He's been living by himself since the trade from Minnesota um, at the start of the year when he reported to Buffalo, um, you know, and those are the hard parts and hockey really becomes an escape for him, he says. So, and, and I think that's a very, uh, common thing in that, you know, when you're on the ice and you're playing, you forget about everything else and all the protocols and all the hardships that have gone into this year and really pour everything onto the ice. And that's what I've seen so far. And we're so deep into the season. I, I don't really see it changing. Well, you mentioned the podcast. Before we let you go, where can people listen to you and uh, check out the latest at uh, NHL.com? 
yeah, so we do the After Rink every week, uh, usually on Wednesday or Thursday. It's anywhere you consume podcasts, Spotify, um, you know, uh, iTunes. It's on NHL.com, Multimedia Podcasts, and it's part of a family podcast that we do. Something for everybody, fantasy, draft, uh, whatever you want. We have a podcast that, that, that speaks to you. But ours specifically, usually we have a coach or a player on every week, and then we go around the league. And uh, it's almost as good as your show, guys. <laughs> you know what? You're too kind. You're flattering us, Sean, and then that's a good way to get you back on the airways, which we will uh, in a few weeks before the uh, the playoffs start. Buddy, thank you so much for coming on. We always appreciate it. Sorry about the connection issues there at the beginning, but uh, we're always glad to have you on. Thank you, Sean. Hey, it's my pleasure, and I'm just going to blame it on the snow while you guys are sitting there in Florida enjoying the fun. <laughs> We've had snow flurries today, so that's what I'm going to blame it on. You know what, Sean? It's, it's a cold wave here. It's 65. I'm going to get my hat on. Oh. You I'm poor guys. I, I guess know. there'll be no, I no, no visit to the Tiki Bar today. That's right. <laughs> Stay warm, buddy. Stay warm. We'll talk to you soon. All right. We'll talk Thanks, to you. Thanks, Sean. All right. Sean Work from NHL.com. If you want to react to anything he had to say, you can do that at Bolts Radio. All right. Let's reset. We come back. We're going to get into the game last night. we got some questions starting to trickle in. Some Ben Thomas questions. And where does Ross Colton fit in? With this team, when everybody's healthy, it seems to be the maybe number one question people want to know. We're going to answer that for you. When we return, he's Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Lanelli. Back after this on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. All right, keep those questions coming in at Bolts Radio. Greg Lanelli with you, along with the radio voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning, Dave Michigan, Steve Ersnick producing. Thanks to Sean Work again, who just joined us. Want to get to some news here before we get into the game last night. The Lightning have assigned Mitchell Stevens, Dave, to Syracuse for conditioning purposes. He has uh, skated in four games with the Lightning this year. Taylor Radish also reassigned to Syracuse. Ben Thomas, of course, we know on the taxi squad and... A lot of people want to know how that's all going to play out, but we wanted to get that out there for you. Still no word yet on Jan Rutza. We'll give you that latest information whenever we find out. But they did get Ryan McDonough back last night, Dave, and we were curious to see what type of defensive performance the Lightning would put in, understanding that he would be back, and that would certainly be an upgrade on the back end. But I thought, as we touched on at the beginning, I didn't think their defensive performance collectively was good enough. Uh, certainly come playoff time, that's going to need to change. But I think last night it was safe to say, thank goodness they had Vasilevsky in net because he certainly covered up some mistakes. Well, Greg, I'll rewind. And I know Steve keeps a record of, of every show. And I said yesterday... I think it was yesterday, yeah. It was definitely after the Tuesday game that if Columbus was going to try and win games 2-1 to one or 3-1 to one with an empty netter and get outshot by a 2-1 to one margin, that that is not sustainable. And sure enough, Columbus didn't play like a team that wanted to get outshot 2-1 yeah. to one and, and just hunkered down defensively. They were, they were on their toes last night. They played a very up-tempo, aggressive game. And I mean that in a positive way for Columbus. I thought they were very, very productive in terms of the work they did from the red line into the Lightning's net. So let's acknowledge that. And I will I will revise what I said yesterday, which is if Columbus can play like that, 
they're going to give themselves an excellent chance to to win a lot of games down the stretch. And and checking out some of the headlines from the Columbus writers today, they basically said the same thing that that that's the template. Not so much the Tuesday game, even though Columbus defended well in front of their own net. It was more how they played yesterday. So let's acknowledge that the other team had a pretty good performance, which we always try to do. The Lightning went into the game yesterday off of Tuesday's game saying, we want to do more in the offensive zone to get inside on Columbus to get more dangerous chances. We had a lot of shots on Tuesday, 38 of them, but not enough scoring chances. Merzlikens was able to see a lot of the shots. We left some plays on the table. We need to be more productive in turning our possession time into dangerous chances. From that standpoint, I think the Lightning succeeded. They did have more chances. They had four fewer shots, Greg, 34 in the game last night as opposed to 38 in the game on Tuesday. But even with four fewer shots, they had they had a lot more scoring chances yesterday, which is a if we're going to talk about Columbus, Columbus probably gave up more than they probably would have liked. And maybe they need to still find a balance between pressing the attack and and not giving up as much. And and they can be tied together because the Lightning had a fair number of rush chances last night where Columbus was not in the right position off the rush defending the Lightning. So from that standpoint, the Lightning did a lot of good things in the offensive zone. So too did Columbus. The problem for the Lightning was, as compared to their game on Tuesday, when they did defend pretty well with a couple of isolated mistakes, and we went over that, that that led to the two goals Columbus scored on Tuesday before the empty netter, and and they ended up winning the game, the Blue Jackets did. The Lightning had a, a much leakier performance last night. And some of that was Columbus. Some of it was the Lightning turning pucks over, and some of it was the Lightning not having solid coverage. And particularly when Columbus surged in that second period, the Lightning really had a rough time of it. I know you and Brian kind of touched on this on the last call, and Brian's like, you know, that's hockey sometimes. One team gets on a roll, and the other team can't really do much to, to stop it. But that still doesn't make it okay <laughs> if you're if you're John Cooper. Like, you have to find a way to stop it. That second period... If not for Vasilevsky, the Jackets could have scored five, six goals. I mean, they they had so many incredible scoring chances. And Victor Hedman, who made that play on Boone Jenner and swept the puck off the goal line, that was that was that was extremely poor for the Lightning. They also had some bumpy moments in the first period, particularly early in the game. I think Columbus had six of the first seven shots, and then during that shorthanded situation where Vassi had to make the saves on Jenner and Felino, And you talk about a key play. So Felino had the rebound, almost scored. Vasilevsky basically pulled it off the goal line with his, with his left pad. Play comes back the other way. Columbus is called for too many men on the ice. So the Lightning are going to get a five-on-three, and they ended up scoring the five-on-three. But they go back and review the Felino play. If, if Felino is able to get that puck across the goal line, it's a shorthanded goal for the Blue Jackets. It's one nothing, And there's no delay of game penalty on Columbus because play has stopped when the goal happened. It's not like, well, you know, you were having too many men on the ice five seconds later, so you're still getting this other penalty. No, no, it would have been a five on four, and the Lightning would have been down one nothing. That was a huge play at that point of the game. Then they had the very 
subpar second period. But I actually felt in the third period, the Lightning, that might have been their best defensive third period, understanding Robinson scored, Columbus had 12 shots. I just didn't feel that the Lightning had as many problems turning pucks over in the third period. I think if you look at the third, they actually strung together some really productive offensive zone shifts. The Colton line had a really strong period. I think the Yanni Gord, Gord got put back with Coleman and Goodrow in the third period. They played very well in that third period. Remember, there was one play where Borgman took a shot from the point, and you know, you talk about traffic in front. That was a great save by Merzlikens, but but Gord was right there for the rebound, and, and Merzlikens kind of kicked it out, and it got away from Yanni Gord. But their line, I thought, was really productive. Point was the best player on the ice last night, and I thought he was driving play no matter who was with him. It was Gord and Palat in the first two periods, and then Johnson and Gord switched spots in the third. So I like the Lightning's third period, understanding that you know Robinson did score and they had they had some pressure. The Blue Jackets had some pressure after the Lightning made it three to two. The sixth attacker plays with Lion A. I talked about that. But if you're going to look for a silver lining defensively, the Lightning did finish with their best period, in my opinion, defensively in terms of cutting down on turnovers and 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 not giving as much time and space to to Columbus. Yeah, what did what did Phil mention the second period? It was a lousy second period. Yeah, well, he's <laughs> that right. Was, it was that was lousy. his analysis for sure. And I think how you rebound from a lousy period is is something that all coaches want to see their team do. And you know, we we talk about him a lot just because he's impressed. And the Ross Colton situation is, is turning out to be quite a story. For this team because that was a huge goal as Phil said yeah. and as you said and Brian said I mean the thing about it, not only was it a huge goal for the Lightning Dave just where they were in the game Columbus didn't get a point in yeah. that game that's well, and, how big and it consider was. the opposition I think yes. Braden Point talked about this post game if there's a team that you probably don't want to fall behind two to one or three to two or four to three whatever the case down by a goal in the third period Columbus can lock it down. And we actually saw that on Tuesday. I thought the last 10 minutes, I think I mentioned this after the Tuesday game, the Lightning had a push at the start of the third, and they got a goal to make it 2-1. to one. This is a Tuesday game. But the last 10 minutes, the Lightning had a really hard time with Columbus's structure. And you were wondering, all right, Robinson scored. What's going to happen here? The Lightning did so well to push right back. Before Colton scored, Yanni Gord had a three-on-one. Wasn't it a yeah. three-on-one? And, like, they didn't execute to get the shot off the rush, but they held the puck in the zone. They had three shots, one right after the other, two from Goodrow, one from Coleman. That was a really encouraging sign. And the Lightning were playing, I think John Cooper said, with even more urgency once once they fell behind 2-1 to one after the Robinson goal. And similarly, you know, off the rush, Colton scores. Great shot by Colton, really good play by Maroon. So what Maroon does on that play – Colton said he thought at first Maroon was going to chip it in and Colton was going to try and get on his horse to get after the puck. But then he realized that Maroon was going to bring it in and probably drop him the puck. Maroon did that and in the process took Seth Jones out of the play. He did. Because Jones is thinking, I need to close on Maroon here, right? He doesn't want to give him too much time and space. So he closes on Maroon and Maroon got rid of the puck and then basically pushed Jones, you know, out of the play. 
which he's allowed to do, right? Jones engaged him, and they're tied up with each other, and it opened up not the middle of the ice, but more toward the middle, that that lane for Colton to to get open. And then he did the rest. What a shot. And he said he was shooting maybe for far pad for a rebound because foot was going to the front of the net. But he didn't even need the rebound. It went, well, it went straight in the net. And Brian was saying that's a tough save to make for a goaltender because typically your glove going down, you're not as quick as glove going high. Yeah. And they say if you can't pick the corner as a shooter, try and get there between the pad and the glove. And I don't know if that's exactly where Colton was going, but boy, that looked like a sniper shot like we've seen from Steven Stamkos yeah. coming down the wing. That was impressive. He keeps impressing and he keeps performing at a very high level. And again, this creates that internal competition. But I do think it's very interesting, Dave. The better, the more he continues to play and continues to produce, not only him, Dave, but I mean, that fourth line now is just. They're producing almost yeah. something every game. And well, I'm going to be honest, you watch a lot of hockey. I do, too. Yeah. That's not always the case. No. And so now it's their last seven games as a line, seven goals. Yeah. Going back to predating when Colton sat for a couple. And it's not just that that line is producing. We have seen other versions of that line with Maruna Joseph. I'm not bringing this up to pick on Volkov, but when Volkov came in for Colton, the line was less effective. And when the Lightning have gone with 11 forwards, so Maroon and Joseph are being joined by really good players, right? It might be Braden Point. It might be Stamkos. It might be Sorelli. I mean, it, Joseph might be in the middle. Maybe it's a winger. I think that line yeah. is that it's most effective when Colton is the center. Mm-hmm. We've Couldn't seen enough more. of them now. Yeah. To recognize that this is not Listen, just a fluke. This is a trend. I have told you this. It is not a knock on him. Because I think he played well when he came up here. Last year got valuable experience and can win faceoffs. I have seen more from Ross Colton overall than I have from Mitchell Stevens. Offensively, particularly. And as long as he continues to be decent in the faceoff circle and he's got the speed and he's got carries a little bit of moxie with him too which I which I like. I don't know how you keep that kid out of the lineup. Now Dave, they may eventually do that. I mean, we've seen this. If you want to get Stevens in for a game, we, we saw Volkov come in as you just said. I mean, that may happen. Boy, when the chips are on the line, assuming there are no more injuries and assuming he's playing like that, maybe that might be two big ifs. I don't know how you take him out of the lineup. I just don't. Well, and the winning. dynamic will change once the playoffs begin. Cuz when the playoffs begin, you just you put the lineup in that's going to give you the best chance to win. You hope so. You hope so. Until the playoffs, though, there are salary cap considerations. Correct. Which have worked against Colton in some of the games that he's had to sit out. Let's get to some questions here uh, quickly. Bob wants to know, guys, with 27 back and Columbus playing a better game than the game Tuesday where they won, was the presence of 27 the difference? Columbus keeps the Bolts' offense out of the core area. Concern other teams will school on this need to be able to penetrate the zone. That was something the team talked about. I yeah, I'm not exactly better. certain I understand the question. So I'll answer it the best way I can if if I understand what he's getting at. McDonough's return was, was welcome. 
I heard Brian's comment on the last call. He felt McDonough looked fine, healthy, no ill effects. If I'm being honest, I felt McDonough looked like a guy who hadn't played for four games. Based on where he normally is, mm -hmm. I, th I think he needed that game to get reacclimated. And it's funny how missing a week can have that effect. That's not to say that, that he was poor last night. I'm not suggesting that. But the plays that he normally makes and the pace at which he makes those plays, I think it was, it was noticeable that there was a little bit of a drop-off, which is understandable because the guy has been out of the lineup. And Columbus brought a lot of pressure last night. So I think he has room to grow, if that's the right way of putting it, based on where he was last night. Having said that, he played, what, 25 minutes or something like that. And and I thought that he was he was a welcome re-addition to the lineup. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of frame it that way. But I think we've seen Ryan McDonough be more dominant. Maybe that's the way I, I want to frame it. More dominant in terms of how he makes plays coming out of the defensive zone than what we saw last night. And I am willing to... And maybe he feels differently. Maybe he felt like he was right there, and this is just one person's opinion, but I, I think that he has another level to get to, and and he will get there very shortly. I and am willing to, to kind of put this on the fact that he sat out for a week or a week and a half. I think there's work on both ends getting to the front of the nets and making the other goaltender a little uncomfortable. Yeah, that was the other to, part of the that was the other yeah. part of the question. And right? I think also in their own zone. And I think that's where Chernak comes in, being a little bit more physical. Shen's a guy that can do that, although when push comes to sub, probably not in the lineup uh, come playoff time. I, I think you give Tampa Bay a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, Dave, too, when the stakes are at the highest, you're going to see a level of physical play that we're not seeing right now. I just think that's what happens during the playoffs. I do think not having Chernak there, at least defensively in their own zone, to clear the net a bit is something they're missing. But I think collectively, I'm not too worried about their physical play and clearing out the front of the net. Well, and ironically, and I use that term, I think accurately, because it is ironic that that was Bob's question. Mm -hmm. Julian Breesbaugh, in his midseason press conference, actually pointed out how pleased he was with how the Lightning were playing in front of both nets. Remember that? Yeah, he did. He, he said, did. "Good point." What I've noted, he said, "I'm not happy with our rush coverage. We're giving up too many odd man rushes, but I love how we're playing in front of our net, and I love how we're playing in front of the other team's net." Yeah. So the Tuesday game was a game in which the Lightning did not penetrate. And I think Bob's point is a fair one. I'm not sure that that was the case last night. I mean, the Lightning were able to... They're a tough team to get inside on, Columbus. But the Lightning were able to do that. They were able to get some guys to the front of the net. Sorelli, I think, had a chance in the first period. I mentioned the Gord one, where they had traffic in front of the Borgman shot that was in the third period. I mean, I'm just going off the top of my sure. head here. But I think the Lightning were a little bit more committed yeah. based on what happened on Tuesday to correct that. And if we're going to go on what Julian said, that has not been an area of concern for them. Well, this and keep year. in mind, too, last night, how many posts they hit, Dave? Yeah. I mean, they had back-to-back, Stamkos and points, both shocked that that happened. Shen had one that went off Merzlikens and then hit the post. Yeah, so that and, counted as a save, yeah. but it was still bad luck. Yeah, a little bad <laughs> luck. And by the way, I was impressed with Luke Shen shooting last night. Yeah. You know, he was got, he's got a pretty heavy shot, willing to shoot. I kind of like that from him and not going to sit here and tell you that he's going to be in your top six, but it was good to see Shen not be 
just another guy out there in the offensive zone. You get the puck, you're open, shoot it. Good things happen when you do that. Al wants to know, I've noticed a lot of defensive zone and neutral zone turnovers. A lot of it seems to be coming from hesitation with the puck, looking for the perfect play instead of moving the puck out quickly. Thoughts? Well, that goes to pace of play, which John yeah. Cooper said he wanted to address in the Wednesday practice. So okay. look, when the Lightning are, are not playing at, at top speed, they are less effective. We know that, right? I mean, that's... That one makes that is what makes them a handful that they play with pace and they move the puck up quickly. And I know you and Brian have talked about the whole east west part of it. Sometimes you can fall into some habits that will work for you on occasion, but generally playing north is what the team wants to do. And when they are playing north and moving the puck quickly, it is a handful for the opposition. See, I also think, too, maybe I'm giving way too much credit for this team when it comes to playoff time, that that's kind of the game they're going to be playing. It's going to be simpler. But I think they've earned that. And I think we saw that last year. I think they have enough guys that understand, you know, during the regular season, Dave, you sometimes get out of your, your element for whatever reason. It's a long season. You're not going to be perfect. I think they understand that is the way they're going to have to play this year. And they have enough horses, dump the puck in, Go chase. They've got a lot of guys with speed who are tenacious on the forecheck, and I think that will play to their advantage. But, you know, time will tell if that's, you know, going to happen. But I, I, I tend to give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt when it comes to how they're playing now compared to where I think they will be playing because I, I just think it's a mature team that understands a certain way to play come playoff time. And, you know, we'll see if I'll, I'll be proven right. Uh, Connor wants to know, are we going to see Ben Thomas on the ice at some point, or will he stay on the taxi squad? Thanks, and Gold Bolts. Love the show. Thank you, Connor. Ruda and Chernak are hurt. Chernak looks like he's he's on the mend. I mean, he did participate in the optional skate yesterday, but you know, you've only got, at this point, what, Cal Foote and Luke Shen as righties. So I'm not surprised that they summoned Ben Thomas, and I'm not surprised that they summoned a defenseman. I didn't know it was going to be Ben Thomas, although he was a guy that was involved in the camp at the start of the year and, and didn't didn't go down right away. In fact, I think he he went down right at the start of the season, didn't he? Wasn't he one of the last yeah, players? He was. At at first we thought he was going to be on the taxi squad to start the year. So, you know, he's a he's a guy who's been in pro hockey for several years and and I'm not surprised that he got called up, but he wasn't the only option. We mentioned Witkowski. They could have brought up a lefty if they wanted to, like Sean Day is a guy you mentioned on the show yesterday. So they needed, depending on the length of the injuries to Chernak and Ruda, and I guess Ruda is on IR at this point, you know, the Lightning are going to need depth. So why not bring up Ben Thomas, get him acclimated on the taxi squad, and if – if they have further injuries, you know, then you have them there to, to to come in and play. And maybe it'll be a situation kind of like with Colton and Barry Boulay and what they said they wanted to do with Taylor Radish, who has been sent down to Syracuse with, with Mitchell Stevens, who went down for, for uh, conditioning. Maybe they'll work to get Thomas into a game, depending on how long these other yeah, injuries are. You know, to me that is interesting because he's played over 260 games – at Syracuse, he's somebody that we've heard a lot about, but we haven't seen in Tampa for whatever reason, whether it's performance, whether it's just the luck of the draw. My gut tells me, and a lot of this is salary-related, that if it gets to the point 
where Ben Thomas is an option. First, I just don't see him getting into a game right now because Tampa Bay's, I think, eventually be relatively healthy, depending on Chernak's status this weekend. But who would you take out if you wanted to get Thomas a rep? Because, you know, understanding you have some guys who I think need to play at this yeah. point more so than him. And I think if he gets to the point where Ben Thomas is an option, it's not a knock on Thomas. I mean, I, I'd like to see him play. What the heck? Yeah, maybe, I, think the Lightning... I mean, Luke Shen has, has been through waivers twice. I, I confess I kind of lost track of the last time he went through. Yeah. If he's still in that window of 30 days, he has not played 10 games, I'm, I'm pretty sure, since since the last time he went through the waiver wire. But, I mean, you could – that would be a salary swap, basically. I mean, you could – you can move Shen down. If you yeah. wanted to get Thomas into a game, you could do it. You could. And, and, and I, I'm not opposed to that. I'm wondering because you would think when he gets into a game or if there is thought about putting him into the game, Dave, it's going to be coming close to the trade deadline, April 12th. We're here April 2nd. I'm wondering at that point, does Julian Breeswell just say, we have to go out and make a trade anyways? Understanding everything you and I have talked about, salary in, salary out. But I'm wondering if he even gets to that point, does he feel comfortable with Thomas, or does he say, "Look, it's this is getting a little bleak. We need to we need to right. address it with somebody with some experience and, and the, kind of and the injury head. status on Ruda, which Correct. we don't really know don't. at this point. We don't. Now, some people have said, you know, with Thomas being up, does that is that not a good sign for Ruta? I don't know. We'll find out. But my sense is we probably don't see Thomas because of of the reasons we just gave. Uh, that's going to do it for the show today, boy. That that went uh, by pretty quickly. Now. Back-to-back games this weekend, Dave. We've got Detroit. And as Brian Engblom has said, even the worst teams don't lose every game. (laughs) (laughs) And the Red Wings have been playing better They lost in overtime to Florida yesterday. They had a lead in the third period, too. Mantha had scored, and it was 2-1. to And then they took back-to-back penalties, and the Panthers scored in the power play. Real quick, though, Panthers are doing all of this. No Barkov still. He has been out, what is it now, six games, I think? Yeah. Six, seven games. No Ekblad, no Barkov. No Ekblad, no Barkov. You know they and do have. For, for the people who said Carter Verhage was doing it because he was playing with Barkov. Forget about it. He's he's producing now he really with Barkov is. not healthy and not in the lineup. He's been incredible. Yeah, I mean, that's, He had the, two assists. I saw the goals that, that he assisted on. Great passes, primary assists. Good for him. I that's mean, about look, a guy just getting he's a taking chance. advantage of the opportunity that's, before him. That's what you want to see, and that's that's good. He's got 32 points through 37 games. My gosh, good for him. All right, we'll be on the airwaves tomorrow. Now, Dave, you're doing the game with <laughs> yeah. We need a scorecard. You got Cully tomorrow, right? Got Cully tomorrow. Jason Collimore. We Beautiful. have not done a game together in a while. I can't yes. even remember the last time. Maybe two years ago, he and I did a game together. Yeah, and we've done some we've done some youth games together too, but. You know he what? Did not I, I want to say the cup with me. Andrew Chuck did. I want to say I don't know why this comes off the top of my. I want to say the last game you did with him was against Detroit. He will probably that. remember better than me. We'll he ask will him. probably we'll remember the last spot. time he did a game. We'll put him on. And the then spot. Brian Engblom yes. is going to be with me Sunday because that is a nationally televised game. So and that yeah, game's no. on WDAE in Tampa Bay as well locally. Ooh. So on Sunday, the Sunday game. Yes. Good okay, catch. so no Bally Sports broadcast on Sunday. They will have the game tomorrow. Tomorrow's Correct. a or yes, tomorrow's one o'clock. We'll be on the airwaves with the network pregame at twelve thirty at noon. Bernsey and Kaylee, they will have their pregame skate show, yep. and we'll have all the action 
for you. And I will be next to you guys, finally. Yeah. I'm not going to be on press row purgatory. Well, I'm glad that Bob Miguelget had a chance to You to think you're going to be and... next to us, Greg. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Bob Miguelget, the radio voice of the Blue Jackets, his son is attending a baseball academy in Florida, so he, he got a chance to come down here. I didn't ask him, though, if he's going to Sunrise because they're playing the Panthers. So he is. He's in Florida. He is. He is. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good for him. So he's going to get to do the four road games in person. And I then think we're going to put Bob back to on press row next time. I don't I don't like getting pushed out, guys. Come on. I don't, I don't feel like I'm part of the team. <laughs> yes. Come on. You That's were right. part of the team. I was. I just couldn't see him when space, I talked to Space is a little tight. It is. Right now. But we manage. We manage. We manage. All right, Dave. Great job, buddy. Uh, happy holidays to everybody as well. Happy Easter. Because yes. you know, if we don't talk to anybody... Make sure uh, you spend some time with your loved ones when you can. We'll do that after the games are played <laughs> on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah. But we'll be with you tomorrow, and uh, that's what we do. Dave, great job as always. I'll see you at the ring tomorrow. All right. See you tomorrow. All right. I'm going to go to bed now so I can wake up early for the game <laughs> tomorrow. Don't b- disturb me. And, uh, Steve, thank you for all your work. Thanks to Sean Work. Thanks to you for listening. I am Greg Linelli. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.